0: What Was That Like? Contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is a show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. There's something that you and I do every day, all day. We make decisions. That's something that we literally do all day. In fact, some sources say that the average person makes 35,000 decisions every day. I don't know how accurate that number is, but I'm sure it's a lot. Most of them we don't even really think about consciously. Which shoe to put on first, how much toothpaste to put on the toothbrush, which checkout line at the grocery store. Those are all kind of subconscious. The bigger decisions we do think about, what to have for lunch, what kind of car do I buy, those are more deliberate. You even make a choice about what podcast you want to listen to. And I'm happy to tell you right now, this minute, you made the right choice. But what if you were suddenly in an emergency situation, and you didn't know if you were going to make it out alive, and you were faced with making the decision of how you prefer to die? that's the spot leslie found herself in one day she lives in nashville tennessee and she's been through a pretty incredible experience she survived thanks to a couple of men named bill one was her friend and the other was a stranger and you're about to hear her tell what happened and be sure to hang around till the end because after our conversation I'll have a sneak preview of the new bonus episode, Raw Audio number 2, which are 911 audio stories and exclusive content, and it's live and available right now for patrons of the podcast. And now, I hope you enjoy hearing the story of what happened to Leslie. Who was home with you the day this happened?
1: His name is Billy Heldenberg and has been a friend of mine for quite some time. He just happened to realize that there was a storm coming, and uh, I had a fax machine back in the day. So he came over and was going to fax and then realized when the rain started coming, he was he would stay with me. and uh, he ended up staying for three days.
0: all right, so the the rain, the serious rain had started had been going strong for like two days, right?
1: Right. Uh, they were told that there was a storm coming as far as the Corps of Engineers and and Nashville and the Weather Channel and all of that. They had been told that the storm would uh, be staying and hovering over us for a couple of days. My understanding is, is that the Corps did not open the email promptly when it was sent. Now, um, that I'm not for sure, but in the congressional hearings and things along that line, that's the way I understand it. It did flood Opryland, Opry Mills, which is the mall, the grand old Opry. It totally took over the entire road, which is called Briley Parkway, on how you get to all of these tourist attractions. and. That all happened on the third day. We had some, I believe it was 17 to 20 some inches of rain that stayed on top of us and rained and rained and rained. And I was sitting outside on my uh, back deck. It is a, well, the home was a log home treated in creosol, first of all. I had bought it two years prior. So if you take the backyard and visualize the backyard, it drops down to the river approximately 30 some feet. Then my deck is about 40 feet higher than the backyard. So you're looking at a 70 feet rise in water. This took some time to happen. The water kept coming and the rain kept coming. I had a covered back porch sitting there. I was counting the stairs as the water kept coming up to see how fast it was coming up. So Billy and I would take turns on counting the stairs, getting a little bit of rest, trying to pay attention of the storm. The police officers did stop by. The house, they walked out, they looked off of the deck, they said, Oh, you'll be fine, you'll be just fine. And they left.
0: Famous last words, huh? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) No (laughs) doubt, no doubt. And I was house setting, um, not house setting, I was dog setting my best friend's little puppy. And then I had a dog who is a cockapoo, both of them were, and he was full grown and weighs about 25 pounds. Then there was Billy, myself, and we were moving furniture up the stairs into the upstairs part of the house, knowing that if the flood And the water would come into the bottom part of the house. We would be able to save some of the antiques and different things that I had. So as we were working on that throughout the two days and still watching the water, the backyard then became an eddy. And if your listeners don't know what an eddy is, it's a place that on a river you can pull off of and it's slower than the current. So what happened was the river was running probably close to about 65 miles an hour. So there were boats going by. There were docks going by. There were all kinds of items just flashing by the house, and some of them would be kicked into my backyard. They would circle around in the backyard and then be kicked back out into the river. So with my house becoming an eddy, it also took away a big chunk of land that was there that goes down to the river. Thank God for the trees and the root systems, or I may have lost a lot more. It's very, very important for anyone to know if you're living on any kind of water of any kind to have trees and root systems so that it holds your bank together. And, and um, it's, it's a saving grace, even if it's a hackberry tree that is dropping all kinds of ugly, you know, sticky stuff. It's still the system that is very, very important to have.
0: So during this time, obviously, it, what you considered it, it was felt like an emergency situation. You weren't going to work every day. You were at home just trying to make sure you got prepared yes. for the worst.
1: Yes, I was. And, and the dogs, the main thing was I was trying to find a, a place that we could evacuate to. So take the dogs. Well, in hindsight... Uh, Nashville had not even considered pets or anything along that line. And there were no hotels that were taking pets. There were, there was absolutely no place to go with these two dogs. They were throwing all of the dogs into a big cage of some sort, being Rottweilers and pit bulls along with chihuahuas. There were people that never got their dogs back because they were killed.
0: What do you mean by a cage? Where was this cage?
1: I'm not exactly sure because I didn't go there. I just know that I had a couple of friends and they were evacuating all of the guests from the Opryland Hotel. They were evacuating them to McGavick High School, which is on up McGavick, which is the street in which Opryland Hotel is on and the high school is much higher and of course had multiple gymnasiums and a place for people to go so there are a couple of subdivisions which are down the street from me which are at a lower elevation that they were evacuating but they weren't coming to me to evacuate me or anything along that line
0: but you would have evacuated if there was a place that would have taken you with the dog that's correct well, I'm I'm with you on that. I there's no way I could evacuate and leave my dogs behind. That's a boy. That's a tough spot to be in.
1: It's a very tough spot to be in and um the little puppy kept trying to jump off of the stairs and into the water and I kept grabbing it by one leg and just so thankful I didn't dislocate it.
0: So at that point with the with the water rising, did you even have the option of driving away? I mean, or could you
1: not at one point. It came too quick. What was happening was it just kept raining, kept raining, kept raining. And across the street or across the river from me is a place called Inglewood. And it is a gigantic, huge limestone bank, uh, very, very high. So when they eventually let the waters out from the dam, that acted as a third dam, and that's what pushed all the water over the whole deck and everything. I had catfish that were trying to jump onto my deck. As you know, if you're a fisherman or whatever, catfish like ledges. They like to hide underneath ledges. And so they were hiding underneath my deck and trying to get up on to the deck. And that was very odd. And at that point in time, it had rained for two days, as I stated. And then the third day, it was beautiful blue skies. Everything was beautiful. And we had thought it had stopped. So at that point in time, the water was in my garage. So the damage was done in the garage and
0: how high was it? If you walked into the garage, how high up on was it over your knees or how or what was the day? De- the the depth?
1: garage had uh, like four or five steps that went down to be level with the ground. So at first, it was just barely into the garage, but the third day, as we had been watching the weather channel and watching and watching. And what we didn't realize is that we had been up for 42 hours, you know, just just so worried and so concerned. We were watching the same report, pretty much. They did not notify any of us that they were going to let these dams out. We live in a place that's a peninsula right there off of McGavick, and it's called Two Rivers. The reason it's called Two Rivers is because you have the Stones River that meets the Cumberland River. The Stones River feeds Percy Priest, which is a landlocked lake, and that is there. Then you have Old Hickory Lake, which is fed by many other rivers, and it is a major thorough way. You can take the Cumberland River, which is outside my house in which I live on, and you can take it and lock through all the way down and you can get all the way to the Gulf. So it is patrolled by the Coast Guard. It's like a 90 mile river, but it is controlled by the Coast Guard. On that third day, which was May 3rd, it was probably around six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning, maybe, that they decided they were going to let both of the dams out at the same time. There is another dam that is way upstream on the Cumberland, which is called Wolf Creek. If the Wolf Creek dam would have broken, all of Nashville would have been underwater. So they took us as collateral damage and let both rivers out, and when that happened, a huge major wave just came down the river, something that you would never, ever expect to see on a river, and that brought the water all the way up and over onto the back porch.
0: And what was the height of the back porch again?
1: It's like 40 feet from the backyard, and then from the backyard down to the river, it's 30 feet. So it all came up about right at 70 feet.
0: 70 feet from from water level.
1: That's a seven-story building. And so when that happened, uh, we were running in and, again, moving a few other things up. What we think happened is the gentleman who owned the log home in which I was living in at the time, treated by creosol. We believe the water came up underneath the garage, raised the car up. The car then hit a gas line. And this was the gentleman who lived in the house prior to me was a tinker. He pulled engines and things out of cars and had a big steel beam across the back. I had lived in that house for two years and never, ever realized it was an old heater like you would find in, um, uh, a a hotel room. It was like a in in the wall heater, and it was just there for him to turn on in the winter time to keep himself warm. And I never knew that the gas was on to that heater. It was on for two years. I never even knew it was on.
0: I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. or go wild and have CookUnity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code
1: what or going to cookunity.com what.
0: Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1 And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully, that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DS-01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DS-01
1: Daily Symbiotic at seed.com what. Code 25. What? So we believe that the water went underneath the garage, picked the car up. The car then was moved forward and snapped that gas line. Then, as the water continued to come, it hit an electrical outlet and blew the garage off of the house while we were moving all of furniture and different things upstairs. This gigantic kaboom blue. We didn't know what it was. We grabbed fire extinguishers, opened the door into the garage, and the water was up to the fourth step, almost to the little deck that the door walked out of. We grabbed the fire extinguishers, and we went into the water. The water could have been electrically hot, we weren't thinking that. We were thinking flood, not fire. Who's thinking fire in the middle of being surrounded by nothing but water? I mean, it looked like an island. I had no grass, nothing. It was just on fire in the water. So, And did
0: you still have electricity in the house at this yes, time? Yes,
1: still okay. have So yeah,
0: you could have been immediately electrocuted as exactly. soon as you stepped in the water. I yeah.
1: never once even thought about that which is a lesson that people need to learn as well. And we went into the water, emptied three fire extinguishers on it, and we postponed it. But again, an old log cabin treated in creosol, which is a fire instigator. So
0: so the garage was on fire and you tried to put it out, but you weren't able to put it out completely?
1: No, we couldn't put it out completely. We could not put it out completely. We ran into the house and then ran out onto the front porch. All right. The front porch is there. Helicopters are above us. They're flying above us, all kinds of media helicopters, everything else. I'm yelling on 911, please send me a boat. Send me a boat. We have no boats. I'm like, you have a boat dock right down the street and a fire station on up the, on up the street. Where are the boats? We have no boats. We cannot rescue you. Whatever you do, don't get in the water. Don't get in the water. Get blankets. Get blankets. Because of the undertow, you will drown. Put the blankets into the water. Get them as wet as possible. Throw them over you. So when the house blows up, not if when it blows up, you won't burn to death. Well, at that point in time, I was very, very angry at 911. And I'm like, if I'm on the front porch when this house blows up, I'm going to end up in the water anyway, with a heavy blanket over me, probably knocked out, and it's going to drown me anyway. So I'm throwing the phone from 911 saying, You're not helping. Well, they call me back and I'm like, do you burn? Do you drown? Do you burn? Do you drown? Well, if you've ever been into a burn unit, the last thing you want to do is burn. God rest their souls and and the people who have to be there. So I was going for the water. I'm going to drown if that's the case. I'm going into the water and they then call back, calm down, calm down. I'm asking them to bring down a helicopter with a a, a ladder. Can you just bring a helicopter down with a floating ladder where I could do a Jamie Lee Curtis, hang on to the the ladder and, and fly away with you? No, we can't do that. We can't do that. And all of a sudden I look up and here comes a gentleman on a jet ski and I'm yelling, Jetski, Jetski. And 911's going, Jetski, and Jetski, Jetski, sir, sir, please can you come over? Please, please can you come over? He comes over, he takes a look, and he says, We have to get the hell out of here now. Your house is on fire and it is bad. So
0: was this guy emergency personnel or who who was this?
1: He was a neighbor from down the street whom I'd never met. He's a locksmith. And uh, he was trying all of the other jet skis and other people who had boats that were on trailers were heading to Opryland to try to get the guests out to try to save those people. And he, in turn, felt in his heart he needed to come the other way. He calls it divine intervention, and my Lord, something was there. And he ended up coming up to the house, and you've got to get on. You've got to get on the jet ski. Well, here he is. It's a winterized jet ski, old jet ski so it's got water in it he weighs over 200 pounds then my friend Billy who has been helping me these three days he weighs around the same amount I weigh around 160 pounds then we've got a 25 pound dog and a 10 pound dog so we all load up on this jet ski he tries to start it once. He tries to start it a second time. It's not starting. He starts it the third time, and boom, the front end of the jet ski goes up in the air. We're so weighted down, we're not going anywhere. Here we go. We get from maybe away from the front porch, and we get. Onto the street, which is not very far, I'd say maybe 10, 15 feet, and kaboom, the whole house blows. My hair catches on fire. I've got the dog. He's trying to hold on. None of us can breathe because the oxygen is feeding the fire. You know, things are blowing past the house and everything else. Now, I need to stop for a second, Scott, because I want to tell you another part of the story. When he came on the jet ski, I had two backpacks and a purse that were outside. One was full of all of my my jewelry from my great aunt, my great grandmother, my mother who was deceased, and all of that, all of my belongings, all of my... um, uh, medical cards, driver's license, everything else. And I had another backpack that was full of dog food and, and leashes and all of the other things. I could only take one and I chose to take the dog food because I did not know when my babies would be able to eat again. Good for you. And so now back to when the house, boom, blows up. I mean, big old logs were flying by. The spikes that they put into uh, log homes are very long. And they're flying by all of my belongings. And we can't breathe. We're trying to breathe. And then all of a sudden, there was like the eye of the storm. And we could breathe. And the next thing we knew, co We were hit again by the backdraft which it threw us the other direction. We were still all able to stay on the jet ski. I'm saying barbed wire fences on the left, mailboxes on the right. We're trying to go straight down the street. I am in shock, of course, at this point. And we travel a half a mile or so on the jet ski down to where there's a hairpin curve. And we go up to close to a hotel, which had just been built there. And the firemen would not allow us to go any further than that. So we had to get off of the jet ski. Bill, who's jet ski, Bill Krauser, he did not since he owned the jet ski, but we had to get out. There was no other way. They would not allow him to come any further. They didn't know if there were cars in the ditches. They didn't know what kind of debris was on either side. So we ended up doing what you call, or what I learned is the stingray shuffle. When you're in the ocean, you're shuffling along so that you're going to kick them up so that you wouldn't, we wouldn't fall off into a ditch and get caught into the undertow. Billy's carrying one dog. I'm carrying the other dog with the backpack. The firemen are like, come on, Leslie. Come on, Leslie. You can make it. You can make it. And we get there, and they had a complete walkway that walks through the check-in area of the hotel and on across another parking lot, and they had an ambulance that was setting up on the hill. My heart rate was at 199. They were afraid I was going to stroke. I was going to have a heart attack. I was 50 years old at the time. And uh I get into the into the ambulance and they're backed up so I am watching my house burn, you know. And it was with the creosote and with all of the log It was a very, very black, black fire and very, very orange, uh, huge. You could see it for miles and um, it was something else. So they could not get me. All of my records and everything were at Vanderbilt. There was no way they could get me there. The road was completely flooded. So they took me to a hospital, which is not far from here, called Skyline. I went in and at Skyline and they were not willing to work with me because I didn't have a health card. I didn't have any identification. I had nothing. Billy had the dogs and they were watching. I think the price is right or something on TV he said, turn it to channel four, turn it to WSMV turns it over to that channel. And they, they are focusing on my house on fire Billy is saying, that is her. That's her back in the room. Please take care of my friend. Well, they came in and I had called my attorney prior to the gentleman on the jet ski to say, please make sure and 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 take care of, of my property and, and pass it along to my brother. I mean, I was prepared to die. And
0: that's what part of what makes this story so fascinating that you, you know, you're working on getting furniture moved upstairs so it doesn't get damaged, but then just a short time after that you're having to decide do I want to die by fire or by drowning? Right. How do you keep your head straight when you're when that's going through your mind?
1: I wish I could answer that question. Um I it was just focusing and focusing on survival. It was survival instincts and, and everything was going in slow motion. I mean, when you're put under that much pressure, things move very slowly. Things are, are, are happening. And, and whatever you're saying, I hardly even remember. You know, I just know that I instantly picked up the, the, the dog backpack. I, I didn't grab mine. I, I was holding on for dear life, you know, the explosion was so loud and then there was no breath to be taken. And then you could breathe and then all of a sudden you couldn't breathe again because of the backdraft. And that half a mile ride down the road, I just I it seemed like it it was hours to to, to that. Got to the hospital. Then, when they realized that I was the one whose house that had just blown up, that had been surrounded by water, they started asking me, of course, all of these questions: oxygen to bring my blood pressure and my everything down. They, uh, my attorney, met me there. So I had called him in enough advance; he had been able to go around and come back in another way. And he's like my best friend. He's like a brother. So then they tried to give me a shot of Adderall at uh, uh, a van, excuse me, at a van that would calm my heart down. And it shot the needle right out of my hand and clear across the, the room that I was in. And the uh, nurse said, well, honey, you blew that one up. And my attorney said, bad choice of words, ma'am, bad choice of words. So as my mother and my dad. His father always taught me, try to find humor in every situation. So there was a laughter there and, and everything. But it took, uh, then they had cut all of my clothes off of me. But then they put me in paper scrubs in a flood. I was put in paper scrubs. <laughs> and that's all I had left. You know, I had no fur- no no clothing, no anything. So they went on. Rusty was able to two-lane traffic, eventually get to my pharmacy to get the prescription to try to calm me down, got to his house over on the other side of town. And uh, that's where I I stayed, along with Billy, for a couple of weeks. And uh, so many people were... So so kind to me. They brought me clothes. They 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 brought me jewelry. They brought me um, things to make me feel good. You know, I, I mean, all I said was when I walked into Rusty's house, there were multiple people there that were all looking at me, like just in shock. And all I could say was, "Does anyone have a toothbrush?" and they all broke down and started crying. All I wanted to do was brush my teeth and feel better about myself and somehow or another. And so Rusty put me to bed, took my phone away from me, redid the message to let everyone know I was alive and I was okay so that they wouldn't continue to call. And when I'd get up every couple hours, I got five minutes on the phone to call like my family, my father, but people along that line. He was alive at the time. My mother was not. My grandmother was as well. And I was able to talk to them. And then he'd take the phone away from me. And so we started working through it that way. The next thing I knew, Channel 4 had called me. And the reason Nashville did not get a lot of attention when this flood happened, Scott, was because it was the exact same time as the oil spill was in the Gulf. So everybody to focus on the Gulf. There were 23 lives that were lost in this flood in Nashville, but very few people knew that. And um, it is, it's something, there's a reason why Tennesseans are uh, known as the volunteer state, because it took two weeks before I was able to come back to my house for the water to come down.
0: Did you have any idea what to expect when you came back?
1: I had absolutely no idea what to expect. And I was calling Bill Krauser on the jet ski. You're my angel. You're my angel on the jet ski. You're my angel. And when I got back to the house a couple weeks later, it looked like a a redneck JFK memorial. I had one pipe that was up that was shooting flames still up the gas had not been turned off and one pipe with water that was just shooting water out and and then all of my christmas decorations and everything had been in the garage and the whole part of the garage the foundation had been underwater so it did not catch on fire. The The joists burnt halfway down. And then the, what was underwater, of course, did not burn. But there were angels all over the floor of my garage. So there was a reason why I was saved. I'm not exactly sure why, Scott, but I try to do something good every day. I try to help someone out and Make a call and check on people every day. I don't know why. But so blessed. So, so blessed.
0: Was anything at all recoverable from the house? I mean, you I assume your car was in the garage, right?
1: The car was in the garage and it had blown up. And plus the I-beam, that uh, there were a couple I-beams in that log home. They had melted and crumbled. We were trying to figure out. What was that? Because everything fell from the second floor, of course, down when it blew up. And uh, we were trying to, well, that was the bed. Well, that was the desk, you know, on top of the bed. You could see the refrigerator because the coils were still there. But the I-beams themselves had completely been melted, you know, just as because the fire was so hot and being a an explosion that's that's what happened,
0: so at that point when you're looking at this seeing that everything's gone you obviously you're not gonna you're not gonna repair the house it's got to be leveled and rebuilt is that what happened
1: that's well FEMA came in and decided they were going to buy a lot of the lots that were down here because there were homes that were completely ruined and and um, people couldn't afford to build them back and and um I was not going to go anywhere. I loved where I lived. It reminds me of the country where I'm from up in Northwest Missouri. Got turkey and deer and beautiful birds and all kinds of things and, and, and moving water, which brings power to the soul, you know. And um, I wanted to stay. So it became me eventually getting flood water or stormwater, excuse me, to speak with FEMA. To then, because my home had blown up and it wasn't just a flood, they allowed me to build back on the same foundation. However, it took a year and a half or so for them to rewrite all of the codes on how to build back after catastrophes catastrophe such as that. So there was lots of political things going back and forth. Other people were able to fix their homes and, and be able to get things done. If my home wouldn't have blown up, I would have had to have replaced the HVAC unit and everything in the garage. And that would have been the difference. That's where my neighbors ended up doing and all of that. But instead, it was nothing but rubble, and the only thing standing was the fireplace.
0: And I've seen that picture. We'll have pictures on the website for this, uh, for this episode so people can see what it looked like after the explosion and fire. So where did you live while the house was uninhabitable, while being rebuilt?
1: Well, I had what they call as the triple triad with state Farm and I had car insurance I had homeowner's insurance and I had flood insurance with them with all of this and working it all out I was able to move into a condominium up the street Jeannie Seeley who was a member of the Grand Old Opry and uh, her sister had a condo that was vacant up there and she had been affected too in the flood but not to the tune of of an explosion. And so State Farm rented that for me for two years. They brought me shower curtains. They brought me Tupperware. They brought me dishes, TV, living room furniture. They brought me everything I possibly needed and, and furnished this condominium for me for two years. And once two years was up, My home wasn't quite finished yet because they were requiring to put what's called smart vents into the house. And there were only a couple of places in the world that made them at the time. And they are automatically made to shut down if there is a flood so that the water can't get underneath the house to lift it off of the foundation and go in. But they came and took, State Farm did, took everything back. And I wasn't, to move into the house until those smart vents got there. Well, being the rebel that I am, I moved into the house. I'm waiting on the vents, and I kept the garage door closed like there was no no cars or anything like that until the vents came in, and then the final, you know, the final evaluation, I guess, came in that gave me the right to move into the house.
0: You had to sneak back into your own house. I did.
1: I did at that. And throughout that time period and those years, I was going to estate sales and I was buying something to keep my mind occupied. Um, I worked all the way through it, but I did get psychiatric care and I still am under psychiatric care and I believe that I will be for the rest of my life. And I, I find it extremely positive and wonderful. And especially in times like today and what's happening today, I've always said, if I ever win the lottery, none of my friends are going to get money, but they're all going to get psychi- psychiatric care for the rest of their lives. You know?
0: <laughs> That's different. <laughs> so at what point did you and Bill, the jet ski guy, go on to the Ellen show?
1: Well, um, when I did the interview at WSMV, it was with a gentleman by the name of Dennis Ferrier, who's no longer with Channel 4 this time. Uh, Some people had brought me clothes, so I had some clothes to wear and I went out there and I did the interview with them. And then CSNBC, I believe, picked up the interview. And the interview then was included into a loop for like three days and it ran every 20 minutes for three days. I had friends calling me from New Zealand and friends calling me from Spain and and they were catching it all there. Are you all right? I mean, this is incredible. Are you fine? Are you all right? Well, that's where I believe that uh, the producers of Ellen, Ellen got a hold of it. And, and um, the reason was that uh, I took the backpack for the dog's. I took, I believe that that was a uh, main and something that she, there are babies. If we don't have any children, there are babies. And if, if you're, uh, um, your babies are grown and, and, and they now have their own families still, we have our babies. There are our, our, our babies, there are dogs, you know, it's so important to have those.
0: I'm with you on that. Yeah. We have a couple of little Yorkies. Yeah. And our, yes. Our kids are grown and everything, but, uh, that's our, that's, that's our family now. Yeah. So, and Ellen obviously is a, is a huge uh, animal lover as exactly, well.
1: Exactly. And so she flew us out there and we um, stayed at a very, very nice hotel and um, I, I had them upgrade my angel on the jet ski to a suite and he stayed in a suite that was decorated like Shrek, like a movie set. And I'll never forget him calling me and saying, Leslie, you have to come up here and knock on the door because this is done so well. I can't even find the door to get out of the room. (laughs) 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 So he was extremely nervous as you know, and he hadn't flown in, in forever. So, we went out there and we, we did the interview and, uh, I was all prepared to dance, you know, when I was going to walk in and all of that, but they brought us through the back way and couldn't quite figure that out at the time. But then we did the interview and Quaker Oats was a sponsor at the time. And Quaker Oats gave me $25,000 to, to help me with, um, the rebuilding of the home. But my concern was to get my angel a new jet ski. He needed a new jet ski. I had already made a couple of calls that if Ellen didn't do it, somebody was going to do it. You know, I was going to make sure he was going to get a new jet ski. And um, then I ended up with dog food for a year for the babies. And um, he ended up with a new jet ski and a new trailer. And then the next thing I knew, I had a brand new GMC terrain and he had a brand new truck and she picked up all of the taxes and everything. And I mean, what an incredible woman she is. What an, And she means it when she's be kind to one another her mother was fabulous her staff was fabulous and but I will tell you Scott I, I don't really really remember a lot of it I uh I'm a broadcast major so I just went right on through it and uh but I think back on it and I'm kind of like I I don't when I watch it on <laughs> when I watch it I look at it and go how did I keep it together so well how did I how did I do it? Just your question, you know, how do you keep your head together? I, I don't know. I reached deep down into my soul, and I just knew that my angel, my sweet angel, needed needed some help. He has a couple children, you know, and uh, one of them has autism, and, uh, and I am in touch with them still. On the anniversary, we talk, we see each other and visit, and
0: and you didn't even know him prior to this, right?
1: Had no clue who he was. Had no hmm. clue who he was.
0: Isn't it interesting how how life events can bring people together?
1: Oh, my lord, it certainly is. And 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 then you have guilt, survival guilt, you know? Um why was I saved and the others taken? What am I supposed to do? You know? Please show me a path. Show me what I'm supposed to do. You know, so for 10 years, I've just been trying to be nice, trying to be a nice human being and and try to do what I can to help.
0: Maybe that is what you're supposed to do.
1: Maybe it is one, one life at a time.
0: Is there any one big thing you learned from this whole experience?
1: Oh, please don't mess with mother nature. Mother Nature means business. And when something like this happens, if you see water across a road, you never know how deep it is. You never know how dangerous it is. And please pay attention when it says don't drive, don't do it, don't do it. I would never have gotten into the water if it weren't for the choice of am I going to burn or am I going to drown? Because I wasn't going to burn. That didn't take me but a second to make that decision. But um, please pay attention to to what mother, Mother Nature means business, means business. And it doesn't take a lot of water to move a car. It doesn't take a lot of water to move a human being into a very dangerous area, to be caught underneath a rock or debris or whatever it is and help others.
0: Good lessons to learn for sure. Uh, We're going to have, like I said, pictures of all this and as well as the video of your appearance on Ellen, that'll be on the website for this episode so people can watch that. And uh, boy, I'm glad you survived. Thanks for sharing your story.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I hope your audience gets a little bit of entertainment about it and I hope they understand that It was one hell of an experience and (laughs) one that will never, ever, ever leave my mind. And uh, I'm so thankful and so blessed.
0: Pretty exciting story, right? I mean, how often do you get rescued on a jet ski and then your house explodes and your hair catches on fire? Can't make this stuff up. And I'd like to thank my friend David Hooper for connecting me with Leslie David is a fellow podcaster. He's worked in the radio industry for a long time, and he has a marketing podcast called Red, the marketing podcast for experts. You can check that out at redpodcast.com. And if you liked today's crazy story, you're going to love the new episode of Raw Audio, which is live right now. Raw Audio is my ongoing series of bonus episodes available to Patreon subscribers at the $5 level or above. Raw Audio number two includes stories about a man who called 911 after he and his wife had a fight.
1: Stay on the phone with me here sir. She doesn't look good. She doesn't look good. I don't know what I should do for her. Okay.
0: A man who called 911 because his girlfriend was not breathing.
1: Listen to me. Do you want to continue CPR? What do you want me to do? Tell to do.
0: And a woman who was stuck in her car during a sudden flash flood.
1: Ma'am, please hurry. <laughs> listen to me. I understand. Hold on for me. Ma'am, they're going to let me die. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to let you die. We'll to oh, to ma'am, call. I don't want to die. I'm sorry, but I don't want to die today.
0: You can hear the full details of what was happening as well as the full 911 audio and how each story ended up by becoming a patron for $5 per month and you can do that at whatwasthatlike.com/support. Not to mention the fact that you'll be supporting this podcast and I really appreciate that. I love finding these stories and bringing them to you and of course this show will always be free. But if you'd like to support the podcast and get all the other bonus episodes of raw audio, that means the ones that are live now and all the ones that will be coming out in the future, just sign up at whatwasthatlike.com support. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks.